Welcome to Capital Conversations by the Venture Asset Management Initiative, produced by IMD, your go-to podcast to understand the dynamics in venture capital. This is part two of a conversation with Fergal Mullen about challenging dogmatic narratives in venture capital. Fergal is a co-founder and partner of Highland Europe, focused on enterprise, SaaS, and consumer internet companies. Fergal represents Highland Europe on the boards of GetYourGuide.com, AMCS, NextThink, BitMovin, Metatopia, Unibody, and Podimo. Highland Europe is currently investing from its fifth fund, which is just over 1 billion euros. In total, the firm manages approximately 3 billion euros. Until the formation of Highland Europe, Fergal was a general partner with Highland Capital Partners. He launched the firm in Europe in 2007 and co-founded Highland Europe in 2011. In this second part, Fergal provides a pragmatic take on venture capital practices, addressing key industry dogmas from the necessity of feedback for founders to questioning the bias against first-time entrepreneurs challenging established norms. Fergal delves into the significance of geographical proximity, critiques the unicorn or bust mentality, and offers a practical approach to board meetings. Fergal Mullen criticizes the dogma that founders should accept VC decisions without seeking feedback and emphasizes the importance of providing constructive feedback, even in rejection. It can be valuable for founders fostering a culture of continuous improvement and for maintaining trust in the entrepreneur-investor relationship. It's a black mark on our industry, in my opinion. The fact that entrepreneurs typically come to us, give us their time, give us their data, share a lot in a spirit of trust and partnership and engagement. And then too often, I can't give you the stats, but too often get nothing, nothing in return. Not even the polite no a week later, two weeks later. The typical answer in my experience at the end of a meeting for something that's not super interesting to the VC, even if, it, if it's a not ever or a, a not now kind of answer, the typical response will be something like, I'll discuss with my partners on Monday and I'll give you a call next week. No call, no email. And for me and for our firm, we think that's inappropriate. I'm not saying we're perfect, I would be disappointed if we had a large number of entrepreneurs that told me I'm full of shit in what I'm saying here. But for me, the greatest marketing opportunity for any firm is in the know and the quality of the feedback that's delivered to that team, ideally in the moment, not after I discuss with my partners on Monday. That typically means I'm not discussing with my partners on Monday. I already know it's a no. Well, if you know it's a no, explain why. And let that group of founders go to the elevator or walk out the door of your office with some meaningful feedback and ideally the ambition to come back and get you next year or 18 months from now. That's why I say it's the greatest marketing opportunity. For us as a growth investor, we have many situations in which a company is just too early, just doesn't fit our targeted profile. 
So the answer is not a not ever, it's a not now. If it's a not ever, that could be a brutal feedback, but you should give it. You should explain why this is unlikely to ever become an opportunity for us. But do so with some empathy and do so with a modesty and an approach that just kind of says, I'm sorry, but thanks for your time. Thanks for coming in. Here's why it's not likely to work out for us. In the not now situation, you can be quite specific in your feedback around you're just a bit too small. Your growth rate is a bit shy. The unit economics, gross margin down to contribute. Whatever it is, give the feedback. Talk about competitive landscape. Talk about gaps in the team. The fact that a company doesn't have a go-to-market strategy or any kind of a, a build-out of that happening yet. Give the feedback and the entrepreneurs will respect it. It's always the case and they will engage. And better still, if you can offer to be of some assistance, I don't mean meaningful time commitment, but just do some thing for them, in introductions, potential product manager, whatever the case may be. These are things that we tend to focus on. And I, I know a lot of high quality venture capitalists do, but too many people forget about the basics of good manners and fair return for an entrepreneur who gave you their time and their data. Fergal challenges the belief that VC firms universally favor experienced founders over first-time entrepreneurs. He highlights examples of successful first-time founders in his portfolio, suggesting that the bias may vary across firms. Fergal advocates for an open-minded approach, considering the context of the founding team and their unique qualities, whether they're first-time founders or bring a wealth of experience. We don't have a one-size-fits-all kind of model on this particular topic. And I don't have the data. I, I wish I did. I, I'll try to dig it up as to how many first-time founders we've backed across the 65, 70-plus companies we've backed in the last 10 years compared to experienced founders. But I suspect it's at least 50-50. At least. Maybe 60-40 in favor of first-time founders. First-time founders, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean straight from university always. It can be somebody with a decade of experience that decides to do something as a first-time founder. Two specific examples that happen to be Swiss. One right up in Lausanne in your neck of the woods. Next thing, tremendous success, absolute unicorn business, first-time founder, Pedro Bados. Another Swiss unicorn out of ETH, uh, Get Your Guide. A group of classmates got together over a decade ago found of the phenomenal business that will touch a billion in revenue, net revenue this year, or close to it. So right there, just two first-time founder scenarios, and I could go across the portfolio and, and name some companies from my other founders, even in my own portfolio, meaning the companies that I look after, AMCS, Jimmy Martin, yeah, okay, he'd worked at Analog Devices for quite some time before, but then he founded AMCS, first-time founder. Matches fashion. One of the very first investments in Fund One many years ago. First time founders who started the business in their 20s and we backed them in their 50s. I mean, get your head around that, right? Husband-wife team, speaking about dogma, you never back a husband-wife team, right? We backed a husband-wife team because they were fantastic, who had retail stores in London and top brands selling online, just like net porte 
the main competitor of Netaporte, and we backed them because their online business was growing much more quickly than their offline business. So I think you've got to be open-minded. And these are all first-time founders, but with phenomenal experience built up over the years. So I would, at least for us, and I can't speak for the industry, and I don't want to speak for the industry, there may be a, a bias towards not backing first-time founders, but I would say there are some firms that exclusively like first-time founders because they want young people who are poor, smart, and driven, who are going to do everything and anything to try and be successful. And that's a model, right? That's a model. So there's not one size fits all in this particular question. I would think you have to look at the context of the founding team and what they're doing. Fergal shares his opinion that the importance of geographical proximity depends on the stage of investment. He acknowledges the Silicon Valley practice of a one-hour driving rule, but suggests a more flexible three-hour flying rule for Highland Europe. He believes earlier-stage investments may require closer proximity for a higher-touch model, while growth-stage investments can afford a more global approach. So this is an opinion. I think the earlier stage you are in your strategy, the more proximate you need to be. Because typically at the very earlier stages, there's a bit more hand-holding required, more frequent advice required. It's a higher-touch model, I would suggest. Growth stage, many firms are global. I know a firm in New York that invests globally from more or less a single office. We invest all over Europe from two offices, Geneva and London. You know, the proximity thing comes from Silicon Valley, where most VCs have a one-hour driving rule uh, from their office, basically. They won't really back. I suspect there's some convenience kind of baked into that, let's not call it strategy, but that practice. We, and I only speak for Highland Europe here, we tend to have more or less a three-hour flying rule, I would say. So our target market is Europe, broadly speaking, including Israel. Call it Eurovision land if you want. But coming at the stage that we come, we don't need to be in front of the entrepreneur every single day, not even every second day. We need to be available. We need to be helpful. We need to show up for board meetings. We need to be schedulable. We need to have time to help them with the things that are important at different moments in their evolution. So proximity, just to round it out, I would say more important for earlier stage than for growth stage. Fergal challenges the unicorn or bust mentality, noting that while many firms aim for unicorn status, meaningful returns can still be achieved with exits in the range of three to 500 million. He emphasizes the importance of evaluating the likelihood of achieving a satisfactory return on investment and encourages a more diverse perspective beyond focusing solely on unicorn opportunities. I know plenty of firms that will only back unicorn plus scale opportunities, right? They won't realize or achieve that on everything they back, but that's the ambition. Of course, we all have similar ambition, but the reality is you can deliver great returns on a three to 500 million exit, depending on your going in value. So we tend to look at things differently. We look at the likelihood, our opportunity to get a 3 to 5x multiple on 20, 30, 40 million of capital, right? So that depends on ownership level, and it depends on the likely exit multiple at which a business will exit. I say likely because none of us can predict where any business is ultimately going to exit in terms of a multiple. I mean, SaaS is quite a bit down at the moment, consumer internet quite a bit down, but 
where is it going to be next year? If you know, I'd like to know if you don't mind. So yeah, I would say it's not, at least for us, it's not unicorn or bust. We've got plenty of unicorns in the portfolio. That's fantastic. But it's probably 20%, 25% of the companies that we've backed. So the other 75% in proportion, still driving very, very good returns profile and outcomes in the hundreds of millions can deliver a meaningful return. Fergal rejects the notion that board meetings are either entirely useless or the sole location for hard decisions. He emphasizes the importance of high-quality board meetings for good governance and decision-making. Fergal advocates for a balanced board with a mix of perspectives, and he recommends regular communication and updates between meetings to keep the board informed. He suggests a quarterly face-to-face meeting frequency to balance meaningful reporting and discussions without overwhelming founders with monthly meetings. I think the importance of a high-quality board meeting is paramount. Good governance, good corporate governance, it sounds very academic, but good corporate governance is crucial as a business is scaling. So we tend to put, and again, this is a stylistic thing for Highland Europe and a cultural thing almost, we put a huge emphasis on building what we would call a balanced board. So a balanced board is not a bunch of people like us. Okay, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Martini rule in venture capital, growth capital. This came from a guy called Dick Testa, who had a phenomenal law firm in Boston. He passed away a number of years ago, but he mentioned to me years ago when I first got in the industry, he said venture capitalists in board meetings are a bit like martinis. You know, one is usually not enough, but three is always too many. And whether it's three, four or five, I think you get the point. Just too much of the same stuff is not always helpful. So we like to add a couple of independents in any board. We like to have a rule number one. And when I say independents, I mean people who bring something meaningful to the table, industry-wise, go-to-market-wise, product-wise, whatever the case may be, and the ability to coach the founders Maybe in a way that we can't, as the so-called money, there's always a certain formality maybe in that relationship, but coaching from an independent board member can sometimes be super valuable. So build a balanced board, right size board, I would say five to seven people is about kind of the range for a good board. Maybe as the business scales, you could go to nine, typically an odd number is better than an even number for obvious reasons. But I would say if you're ever getting to the point where anything comes down to a board vote, anything, and a tense vote, then there's something that's already gone wrong. And just very specifically to the question of the action happens in between or at the board meeting, I think it's too black and white. The reality is lots and lots should happen in between, but it should be broadly communicated. It shouldn't be bilateral and political, if you know what I mean. Whatever conversations are happening If there's anything of consequence that comes out of a conversation, a decision taken, the board should be just kept up to speed. Uh, And then good board agenda, ideally a good chair. Uh, We're a big believer in the role of, of a strong chair who can actually help a founder enormously. And the last thing I will say is frequency. I think the every month thing is just too much for founders. It's absolutely too much. The level of prep for a good board meeting It's pretty significant. I'll give you my own personal view, so don't take this as the Highland perspective. I like quarterly face-to-face, 
and two other meetings by phone update. So that's six meetings per year. I like exceptionally high quality monthly reporting that runs on its own cadence with the quarterly coming in again as part of the monthly. It's just the third month of a quarter. All the key metrics agreed with board members. And I like that to be on a separate cadence from the board report so that it's not what consumes the time of everybody in a board meeting. There should be maximum half an hour on numbers and then the balance of the three-hour meeting, let's say, focused on product and team and organization and go-to-market and all the other topics that are important. Across parts one and two of this episode, Fergal Mullen's perspectives challenge entrenched dogmas in venture capital, urging a more thoughtful and individualized approach. He emphasizes the importance of aligning fund size with strategy, considering diverse market sizes, and recognizing the potential in hardware investments. Fergal advocates for constructive founder feedback, dispels biases against first-time founders, and questions the necessity of geographical proximity. He encourages a balanced view of investment outcomes, rejecting a strict unicorn or bust mentality. Ultimately, Fergal promotes adaptability and critical thinking in venture capital practices, acknowledging that success is multifaceted and context-dependent.